The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. All right, I'm eager to jump into the scriptures together. Do you have your Bible? Would you open to Ephesians chapter 3? Ephesians chapter 3. We're hanging out in this just incredible prayer from the Apostle Paul for the churches in and around Ephesus and for the church in and throughout history and for us this morning. The Apostle has spent the first two chapters helping his readers to understand the magnitude of God's power and the work of redemption that he has accomplished through Jesus. He then reveals to everybody, reminds everybody of the fact that in Jesus, God has made one new people out of many. And so the Gentiles are now included into all God's blessings for Israel through faith in Jesus. And that this means that things are not going to be easy for us in the world. In fact, Paul spends the first half of chapter three talking about his being a prisoner and what he's endured because of what God has called him to do. And so we're not going to have an easy road, but we're going to have one uh, that gives our life meaning and purpose and direction and ends in blessing and reward. And so this is what Paul's eager to see the people he's writing to walk in. And so chapter four, verse one has a, a instant move of application. And so it's, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to walk. But before he does that, he prays this incredible prayer. And part of this prayer is what informed this series, Limitless. As we, as we seek to encounter and experience to comprehend and understand God's limitless love. And so I want to read this prayer and then We've been focusing on the dimensions of Christ's love in this prayer, the breadth and length and height and depth. And so this morning we'll be looking at the height, but let's, let's read the prayer. It's Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What does that even mean? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's this impossible prayer. It's it's mind-bending, and yet he ends with this doxology benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And God, we ask that you would add your rich blessing to your word that has been read in our hearing, that your Holy Spirit would attend it with power. And as we seek to understand it, that you would transform our lives, starting with our minds. We invite you to do your work. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. My four-year-old son is sitting on the front row. Love you, bud. His mom, uh, Tiffany, she like loves our kids to pieces. 
Not just like she feels feelings of love for them, which she does, but she's always been very intentional about saying I love you and hugging them and holding them and touching them and kissing them until they don't want any more love from mom. She's uh, super, super affectionate. And, um, you know, they say that boys and girls are different to parents. And so we had three girls in a row. And so we didn't know what the little boy feelings were going to be. And then the little boy came along. And um, that's mommy's little man right there. I tell you what, sometimes I get a little jealous. (laughs) It's true. Like, hold on a second. But one of the things I love is that Julian right now is fascinated by the dimensions of all things started with fire truck ladders. How tall does that go up? And how big is that? And how long is that? And how long does it take to get there? And how deep is that hole? And he wants to, he wants to understand the parameters. And it's really cool because right now in this season of, of my life and our life as a church, we're trying to understand these parameters of God's love. And so it's wonderful for us to ask questions like, how wide is it? And how long is it? And that's what the Apostle Paul is praying that we get. And so Tiffany would say to Julian, she'd rock him to sleep at night and she'd say, I love you to the moon and back. You guys say that, right? It's like printed on everything, everywhere. You're like, oh, the moon and back. Wow. Well, that is never good enough, you know? And so uh, because he doesn't have good spatial uh, uh, kind of concepts, he, he thinks the biggest thing is the roof out of his second floor bedroom window. I love you to the roof, he'd say. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I love you to the ocean. Well, I love you to the mountain. And they would try to one-up each other, and you know. So we have this thing of like, so he started doing this thing where everything was I love you to the and so one Sunday, he was back there and with the kids, and they're un- trying to understand God's love back there, and they're making these little paper hearts, and he brings this heart back up. It's right after service, and he brings it to mom, and he goes, I love you to the heart, and he gives her this heart. I know, it's adorable, it really is. It's very adorable. He'll grab a flower, wildflower, as we're walking through the neighborhood. I love you to the flower, mom. And I don't know if you've ever experienced an unsolicited I love you from a preschooler. It's pretty impressive. It's really not what you'd expect. It's overwhelming. Uh, and, and so this idea of like, how big is it? How far is it? And, and here we are like trying to just kind of understand what God's word says, means live our lives, make a difference in our world, um, tra- be, be transformed on the inside, become the best version of us, you know, not mess up too bad, but the humans we're responsible for. We're all trying to do this thing together. And the Apostle Paul knows that the thing that is going to help us the most is not the directions that he gives us in chapters four, five, and six, although those are really important. What's gonna help us the most is if we have an encounter, a relationship with God, where we experience his love in its proper magnitude. And in fact, that we're always growing with it. And this has been, this has been the clear teaching of scripture throughout all the Old Testament. I think the Apostle Paul, his prayer is informed by his understanding and probably memorization of the Psalms. We've been referring to Psalm 103 over and over again. The Lord is merciful and gracious, verse 8, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And isn't that the kind of person we want to be? Don't you want to be a merciful and gracious person who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? If you don't want to be that person, don't you want to be married to that person? Isn't that what you'd like to have at the dinner table when, you, when it's time to work something out? Could you please be abounding in steadfast love? <laughs> slow, slow to anger. <laughs> Could be. So this is who God is to us. And I love in verse 11, it says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. How, how high is it? 
He loves you to the edge of the universe and back. I was trying to figure out a way to like uh, illustrate this. And so I went searching for videos that help us understand the scale of the universe. You guys ever watched any of those? Um, They're amazing. They'll blow your mind, but they're also uh, really hard to watch because you're essentially just zooming out backwards at light speed and to blackness. And it's kind of like, doesn't really, doesn't really sail. I brought a video. I was going to show you a video and I watched it this morning again. And I was like, that doesn't help at all. I just watched a dot disappear. That's what I just did, right? And it takes three minutes of 11 times light speed to zoom away from the earth. It takes less than a second for the earth and the sun and our solar system to disappear from from a pixel size while we just zoom into blackness and then we get to the edge of the known universe and then whatever, you know, quantum scientists think is happening out there at the edge. And yet here we are trying to understand the magnitude of God's love. And I think that there's an experience to be had as well. I don't know if you've ever walk through something difficult and there's no answer, there's no cliche, there's no help that anybody can bring you, but the spirit of God attends you in the middle of your suffering. Has anybody ever experienced this? You ever watch somebody go through something and you go, I don't know how they are making it and they don't either, but the only reason is that God is present. It's the way God scoops us up and brings us close and whispers in our ear, I love you to the moon as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards us. And and we need to understand it. We need to have a concept for this distance so that we can kind of take it in and get our head around it. Yes, comprehend with all the saints, but we also need to experience it. And that's something that I can't do for you. You actually have to receive God's invitation to climb up in his lap and let him rock you to sleep. Some of you like physically need him to do that for you every night. I know there's some people in the house this morning who as soon as your head hits the pillow, your worrier turns on. You hear? You hear? Some of you are like me. My worrier does not turn on. My eyes close and my snoring turns on. That's what happens to me. Isn't that how it happens for some of us? My worrier turns on as soon as my eyes awake, which happened to be 3.48 a.m. this morning. Thank you, daylight savings time coming to an end. I remember when we had little kids and uh, when you have really little kids, they all wake up at exactly the same time and it's wicked early in the morning. It doesn't matter. You can put them to bed at 5 p.m. They'll wake up at 5 a.m. Put them to bed at 11 p.m., 5 a.m. New day! I remember thinking someday our kids are going to be grown enough to sleep in and I will get to benefit from that gifted hour of sleep that was also stolen from me in March. (laughs) Right? You ever had that feeling? Now I'm just old enough that my body's like, nah, feels like 4.45, so get up. <laughs> and my brain instantly turns on and I start going through all of the things. Some of you are nighttime warriors. Some of us are morning warriors. Some of us manifest that slightly differently. All of us, we need to have the arms of a loving father to sit in, to rest in, to trust in, to hope in. And we have that. The question is, will by faith you receive it and experience it? So I thought, what does it mean for us to explore the height of God's love. Can everybody say height? Uh, I've listened to a lot of sermons. Thank you. I've listened to a lot of sermons this week and I, it's driving me nuts when people say height, height. And I, and it make, I understand it's, a, it's one of those weird English things. Uh, I don't understand how these things happened where we end up with breadth and length and depth, but height. <laughs> you guys, this is very natural to say height, isn't it? 
And in fact, I found in some of the revolutionary writings of our founding fathers, they were all kind of deciding whether to say height or height. Did you know that? It's weird. It's weird, but there was a whole thing. But now it's height, so let's all just not say height. That's not it. That's not the word. And so height, height, height. Listen, think about the scope. Think about how far up God's love is for just a second. Uh, It's above your thoughts of it. Do you know that? In fact, you have a ceiling of your understanding. Now, I'm, I'm a constant learner. I'm always trying to expand the ceiling of my understanding. I, know, I don't want to be limited. I only ever want to be limited by my God-given intellect, but I, but I always want to be growing in my understanding of things. And so I listen and I read and I study. And I, when I don't understand something, I try to get my hands around it. When somebody comes at me with some crazy, weird perspective about the way the world should work, I want to go, why? And get solid answers to those whys. Anybody else like, like that? If you're not, you should be. Hopefully we'll stretch your brain out if you hang out here. But do you ever think about what God's thinking about? You ever think about that? You ever think about what God is thinking about? I love uh, Isaiah 55. Maybe you guys are familiar with this passage of scripture. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon his name while he is near. You guys know this kind of famous passage? This is uh, also speaking to God's people, not to not God's people. This is to God's people who are far from God. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. What are you thinking about? God says, I know what you're thinking about. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Think for just a second. Imagine if every thought you had went across your forehead in a little digital sign. None of you would ever come to church. That's for sure. Not without a hat on. <laughs> Think about what, would, what that would be like if, listen, I spend most of my life, I've, most of the eternal rewards I'm going to gain from my life as a Christian are going to come from the things I thought and did not say. Do you understand? This is, this is literally the battle of my life. And not just on Sunday mornings, it's every day, all day long. Not going to say that. Not going to say that. Can you imagine if every thought that you thought went across your head. You would have no friends. Your spouse would have left you years ago. Think about it for a second. There is all kinds of stuff going on in here that is not good. Isn't it? This is why it was so dangerous to hang out with Jesus when he was on the planet, because Jesus would just read your mind. And Jesus, perceiving what they were thinking, said, that's like not a safe zone. There's no safe space around Jesus. He knows exactly what you're thinking. God's saying the same thing. Isaiah's saying, God literally knows your wicked thoughts right now, but he isn't thinking about giving you the smack down like you think he is. Instead, he's just hoping you would just turn to him and say you're sorry and ask for his help and experience his compassion and his pardon. He says, the things I'm thinking about are not the things you're thinking about. I'm thinking about a way to save you. 
I'm thinking about a way to change you. I'm thinking about a way to alter the course of your life for good. I'm thinking about a way to get you back home with me and wrap you up in my arms. That's what I'm preoccupied with. Do you know it? This is what God is thinking about. Mm. It's awesome because it's encouraging to me because it reminds me that God's love is not limited by our understanding or experience of it. Do you know that? God's love is, is equally, immensely, relentlessly toward you, whether you know it is or not. It's not limited in any way, shape, or form by your current experience to date or what you think you know about it. I was having this conversation with um, these pair of atheists when I was in college, and they, were, they like, kind of condescendingly looked down on me because of my Christian faith, and they thought that I was like a weak person for needing to believe in God. You ever had a conversation with somebody like that? Maybe you used to, have to think like that. So I'm trying to ask them different questions about their atheism, you know? And they were so convinced that there is no God, so convinced that there is no God. And I remember one, at one point I just asked them, I said, do you feel like you know everything there is to know? Of course not, of course not. That would be arrogant to think that. Well, do you think you know half of everything there is to know? Not a chance. Well, let's just say for the sake of argument that you know 1% of everything there is to know, okay? like, what if God exists in the 99% that you don't know? And they were like, shut up, you know? <laughs> keep, your, keep your words to yourself. It, was, no, it was, did not end well in that conversation. I'm just asking you, even with, as a person of faith in God, think about all the things you don't know and understand that the things that God is thinking about might not be the things you think he's thinking about. But what he's revealed to us is his fathomless love, his preoccupation with the intricacies of your life and your feelings and your future. This is what God is thinking about. I was going to say when he wakes up, but he never goes to sleep. It's amazing. It's incredible. And God's not limited by our ability to understand. We just want to continue to expand our understanding. This is why just reading the scriptures is so important. Just getting in there and thinking about it, reading the scriptures, coming to understand who God is and what God has done. Deuteronomy 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. He has secrets. He's not going to tell you everything. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of his law. God's given us so many gifts in his directions. You don't have to understand them. We tell our kids this all the time. Listen, mom and dad love you. If we say stop, just stop. Because sometimes you will just be too far away. We can't see you and you're probably fine. Other times there will be a car coming that you do not see and we want you to live. And so when you hear mom and dad say stop, just stop. It's a, it's a gift of a commandment. It's one out of love. And so here we need to expand our understanding, not just of what God says or what we ought to do or what we feel or what we think on the inside, but what God has revealed to us. His love is beyond our thoughts, which kind of brings me naturally to the idea that his love is beyond our self-worth. Self-worth. Because a lot of the thoughts we think about God have more to do with how we feel about ourself than what God has actually said about himself. We do this in our relationships with each other too. We do. We have an insecurity and we then project that insecurity on a friend. Why didn't they call me? Why didn't they invite me? I saw them on Facebook with three other people I know. Why wasn't I invited to that? It's because they hate me, right? Whoa, whoa. Maybe they all just happened to be at the same time at the same place and took a picture. Calm down, right? You're like too fresh, too real for you. 
We have, we have, we're, we're like walking through life trying to, trying to deal with our sense of self-worth. I tried to teach on this and got myself into trouble last year because the world like, has different words for self-worth. The idea of like self-love is really popular. Um, identity. Uh, there's, there's like different ways that people talk about how we experience. Like self-esteem is a big one, right? You want to give your kids a sense of self-esteem. You're like, my kids think they're the most important person on the planet. Here, hold this, slave. Right? You ever have kids? You're like, that's not a self-esteem problem. But, but so we're here trying to navigate like what is, and so I talked about self-love in a sermon and a, a very ardent biblical scholar who's a part of our church, a dear friend of mine. He came to me and said, you know that the word self-love is in the Bible? One time I said it wasn't in the Bible. He said, no, it actually is in the Bible. The word self-love is in the Bible. It's actually in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But understand this, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. I love that line right there too. Because you're reading this and you're like, that's what I just see on TV every day. And then the apostle's like, just stay away from that. Just turn it off. But right in the middle of that is this idea of self-love. But that's not always what people are talking about. And so I I use the word self-worth because a lot of times we're trying to get whole on the inside. We're living a life that's trying to like find some value. And we do this in weird ways. The most common ways, the factors that define self-worth are your sphere of contacts. A lot of times we look around to see who our friends are. Are we with the same kind of people that we want to be? Do we find value because of the circles we run in? Some of you do that. Some of you, some of us, I should say, it has everything to do with our physical appearance. We look, we look at ourselves in the mirror and then we compare ourselves to the, the standard, the beauty standard, and we think of ourselves as attractive or unattractive. And then we do things to try to mask or kind of get us moving over to that beauty standard and it's, it's really, I mean, you, we, need, we need to talk about this for just a second because, you know, there is no such thing as beauty at all. The concept of it is f- completely false and fabricated, and it's just something that's out there in the world that's used to control people. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but there is no, beauty is literally in the eye of the beholder. Do you know that? And so there is no standard of beauty. And in fact, if you look through history, the standard of beauty is just doing this all throughout history. In fact, some of you look at yourself and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm too tall or I'm too short. Imagine if you're 5'9", you live in America, we're talking before the service, and here I am 6'4", towering over you, enormous stature. Do you know the average American? Do you know the average American at the turn of the, at the, during the revolution was five, average American male, colonial male, was five feet, six inches tall. At 5'9", you would have been like the most impressive person in the room. How's it going, short stuff? You know? It's not that you're... It's not that you're unattractive, it's you should born in the wrong century. That's all it is. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Go back in time. You can find a period of culture where your beauty was you. They would have gone, oh my gosh, you're so beautiful. That's all there. And it's just because beauty is this moving target. And yet we find so much of our value and our self-worth in how do we look compared to other people. And I know this is true when you've thought about the, what you would get done if you had some work done. You would never do that. But if you had, you know exactly what you would do, don't you? <laughs> It's true. It's a true story. You're like, how do I look in this outfit? You know, you, you just kind of 
Now, some of, some of us, we just give up on that whole thing altogether and we go, that was never my thing. My dad told me I was relatively unattractive from my childhood. So like, I grew up thinking I was just like, a, I'm like, I live in five world. I'm just like not a good looking dude. My dad said, um, he said, son, so I was interested in girls. He said, bud, I can tell that you want a girlfriend. And you're trying to, you're, I'm saying, you're noticing the girls. He says, and girls are going to be looking for you to be good looking or rich or funny. And then he said, you better be really funny. That's what he said. Just want you to just, that's something you can work on. The other two might not be in the cards for you. So he helped me set the, set the bar really low. And so, so, so some of us, some of us though, we, we were devastated, devastated. You look in the mirror and you think, not enough. And so you look to find worth from other people in other ways and other things. And so when, when our self-worth is crippled by some external standard that doesn't exist, what happens is, is we just start to sponge it out of other things. But listen, when you saturate yourself in God's steadfast love, do you know what happens? You get to experience God the way that he sees you. And he made you the way you are. And he looks at you physically, emotionally, mentally, your personality, and he says, I love it. I just can't get enough. So here we have this self-worth crisis. Maybe it's not severe of influence for you. Maybe it's not your physical appearance. It could be your occupation. It could be like needing to find uh, success in order to feel good about yourself. Maybe, maybe if I'm, if I'm, it doesn't matter what I feel like or look like or who my friends are. If I just ha- if I just get to this point, then that's where I'll find it. And you're just driven. The problem, the same thing there is, is that horizon always is moving. Do you know it? You get one level of success, you got to get another level of success. You close the biggest deal of your life, now you just move the goalpost and you never, ever, ever find the self-worth that you're looking for. But when you give God your best every day and every day you can say, God, I lived this day for you and this is what I was able to accomplish. And that's where the relationship exists. This is when you begin to experience God's relentless love. When you get to hear him say, like he said over Jesus, this is my son, my daughter, with whom I am well-pleased. This is what we're aiming for, is to hear God welcome us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You did what I put you here to do compared to no one else. Isn't that amazing? This is what God does to our self-worth as we connect with his love. And then lastly, possessions. This is very common for people to just feel like the more stuff I have, the happier I will be and the better I will feel about my stuff. When people come over, it doesn't matter how short I am or how ugly, look at my things, better than yours. <laughs> That's why car shows exist, by the way. It's a true story. I used to go to car shows as a kid. I was like, amazing, awesome. I just drooled all the cars. Now I, like, I have a car. I really like it. I, every time I get in my car, 2006 Mustang GT, Windvale Blue, five-speed, it's beautiful. I love it. I would never take it to a car show because it wouldn't compare well. You know why? Because I don't idolize it and spend tens of thousands of dollars on it constantly. I don't even have a garage. Yesterday, I came out while I was mulching. I'm mulching the yard yesterday afternoon. I come out, and my kids are sitting on the hood of it. It's an aluminum hood. Trying to put an inverted scoop in there for me, you know? Why? Listen, in the same way, listen, God, God made you, and you're his, and he wants to enjoy you, and it's not a competition. It's not a comparison. But we live with this broken sense of self-value, self-worth, and there's, there's the, most of the pain we put ourselves through is trying to find worth in some of these ways or others. And what God's inviting you into 
is a relationship of love that is individual and personal and powerful and life-transforming. His love is above your sense of self-worth. In fact, Malachi 3, when God talks about what he would do to finally bring about redemption for his people, he said, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. You know, you're God's treasured possession. Did you know that? Do you know that? He wants to put on display for eternity what he's been able to do in us. There's gonna be a show, it's not a car show. It's a people show and God wants to show us off. He wants to go, look what I'm capable of. Look at all the people I've made for myself. This is my treasured possession. This is what's called redemption. This is why when you think about your self-worth, and most of the time this is feeling. We don't talk about it. That's why it's uncomfortable for me to, you know, talk about it. But we feel all these feelings and they motivate us to do things and say things and go after things and and react to things because of this sense of of self-worth. But your value is not placed on what the world says, how, how you stack up to everybody else. How much stuff do you have? How successful are you? What do you look like? How physically fit are you? Ooh, right? This is not the measure. The measure of your value is just like anything else. Something's only worth what other people will pay for it. This is another Ray Jarvisism. Hey, Dad, if you're listening, thanks. Something's only worth. I remember I had the baseball cards. How many of you guys collected baseball cards in the 90s? They're worth nothing, literally nothing. You have a box of them. Yeah, in the 40s, they were worth something. My mom threw away my Honus Wagner cards, $100,000. Bye bye. I collected baseball cards. I remember when my dad had this little book, a little Beckett, and it showed all the prices of all the cards. My 1989 Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card is worth, upper deck rookie card is worth $135. My dad said, no, it isn't. No, it is. Look right here. No, it isn't. No, it says it in the book. It's not true. No, dad, you don't understand. No, you don't understand. Something's only worth what someone else will pay for it. And he drove me to a card shop. And the guy was like, I said, I want $135 for this. He was like, it's not worth that. I was like, yes, it is. It says so in the book. He's like, no, that's what I can sell it for, but I can't buy it for that. I can't make any money if I buy it for that. I was like, well, what will you give me for it? He's like, I gave you 30 bucks. I was like, 30 bucks? Which I should have sold it because it's worth less now. 30 bucks. He's like, I have seven of them. Well, I don't need another one. And I was like holding this card and I had this, mon- this is all figment of your imagination. My dad was like, see? Something's only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. Do you know that? And yet in the scripture, we're given this amazing word. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption. You know where your value comes from? And what God was willing to pay for you, to get you back. He gave the most valuable thing he possibly could so that he could have you forever. And he did that when you were off thinking wicked thoughts broken and looking for meaning and sucking it out of people and causing all kinds of problems. And even right now, no matter what you're experiencing, what you're going through, how you feel, he loves you enough to die for you and to make you whole forever. That's a love that's way beyond our ability to connect with and that's why we gotta saturate ourselves in it. Let me end here. April's gonna come up and create a little ambiance for us as I close, but I I want you to just consider the fact that God's, Love is above, how high is it? Above your comparisons. 
You see, it's hard for us, it's hard for us to get con- concepts about God. It's like trying to explain algebra to your cat, you know? My, our cat jumped up on the end table and stuffed its face into a cup of water. That's his way of saying, I am out of water. You understand? So my cat's thinking about just like food and water and sleeping a lot and maybe scratching small children. That's, that's all his day holds. And that's probably what he'll do tomorrow. Not a lot going on there. And if I sat down with him and I tried to explain to him the order of operations, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, doesn't care. No interest beyond his ability to conceive. Do you, do, you, do you understand the application here? But here's the thing. We try to understand a limitless God. And so we immediately reach for some point of reference. And oftentimes we do this thing. The Bible calls God our father. And we look right to our own father and we go, that's what God is like. No wonder there are atheists. <laughs> Do you understand? I mean, the tenets of atheism are, number one, there is no God. And number two, I hate him. Right? Because there's a point of comparison that's off. But God isn't a reflection or a projection of your experience. He is independent of you. He is what we need to understand in order to have an understanding and judgment of everything else. He has to become our point of reference so that we can determine what a good father is or isn't, what a kind word is or isn't, what a truth is or isn't. Without God as our point of reference, our comparisons will skew our experience of God and his love in the world and other people. Do you understand? And so we need an experience and a comprehension of his love so that our comparisons don't fail us. Whether we project ideas of God that are untrue or we project a self into the world by comparing ourselves with others in order to feel better about ourselves, none of these things will ever bring us to the wholeness God wants to bring us to. But if we allow ourselves to be abandoned of everything else and fall into God's loving arms and just believe what he says is true about how he feels about us and what he's done for us and who he wants to be to us and how we can trust him and how he'll never leave us and how he died to save us. And if we can just sit in that for a minute until we feel it until we feel it sometimes you get a little taste of it when you get a an unsolicited i love you from a two-year-old or when somebody just holds you and hugs you a little longer than socially acceptable you get a little feel of it but god wants you to be overwhelmed in it he wants you to be preoccupied with it he wants you to be fascinated He wants you to lift the limits of your understanding as you explore the parameters of God's love for you and it will change your comparisons with everything and everyone. Do you know that the first name of God in the Bible, Elion, is God most high. You know the great sin after the flood when God destroyed all people but made a covenant promise and fulfilled it to, Ab- to uh, Noah and his family was that true knowledge of God was lost and the people of the world decided to build a tower into the heavens. You see, we always have an impulse to be high and to be lifted up. Isaiah 14 gives us probably the best depiction of what we think is where the devil came from. He wanted to be equal with God. He wanted to sit in a throne on high There's a movement towards height. But listen, what is high, God most high? He's been coming toward you for eternity past. Even right now, his love is towards you from the highest height, but it's coming all the way to you. 
the video I was going to show you, I'm going to post it on Facebook later. As you zoom out from the earth, it goes all the way out to the edge of the known universe. And then it zooms all the way back in, but it doesn't stop where it started at the earth. Instead, it goes into the earth and onto a planet, into a dewdrop of water on a leaf, and then into that water at the molecular level. It goes down, 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 infinitely small to what we believe is present in the infinitely small. And you know that God's love is the same way towards every detail of your life. The insecurities that you won't talk about, the pain that you endure, the anxiety about the future, the hope that you have to restore relationships and to be successful and to not fail and all the things that make you you that are spinning around in there like, ah! He's watching and his love is toward you from on high. And so don't give in to cheap comparisons. Only settle for the real thing. And you can have the real thing, not because you can understand it, you can't. Most of us feel like we've been explaining algebra to the cat. But God does a miracle in the person of Jesus and in the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, God, God has always been who he is. We just didn't understand it. We didn't have handles for it. But when God expressed himself in the person of his son, Jesus, in the first century on earth, and then ascended on high after making atonement for sins, and then he sent the Holy Spirit, also God. And so we have one God in three persons. Do you know that? You need to know that. Every single one of us is one in essence and one in person. If you have multiple persons, that's a disorder. Do you know that? But God is one in essence and three in persons, and he wants to do a miracle in you by his Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5 5 tells us God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so what you need is not more explanation from Pastor Jesse. What you need is to open your hands and by faith receive the gift that God wants to give you. And this is where you will begin to experience the love of God. It's by his Spirit. And where that will be, exemplified, where that will be intensified is when you, with that gift of the Spirit, look to Jesus and see God's love manifested in the person of his Son. I love that Hebrews 1.3 tells us, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. But what did he do? After making purifications for sin, redemption, establishing our worth and value. What did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so we have a risen king reigning on high who loves us from unimaginable heights, who's intimately acquainted with the details of our lives and who is present on the inside of us by his Holy Spirit to reveal it to us that we might experience it. And so my invitation to you is to study Jesus and listen to the words of God and take him at his word and just receive his love and sit in it. And listen, you can be overwhelmed by God's love in a million different ways. You don't need a sermon or a song. It can happen to you in, on a walk or in a, in a quiet room with the scriptures open in a cup of tea or coffee. It can happen in a relationship. It can even happen with a four-year-old that tells you, I love you to the heart. And you'll get a taste of it. And when you hear that, you won't just hear love from a person you love. You will think, man, if I love him this much, how much does my father love me? If I care for him this much, how much does my father care for me? If I'm taking care of him this well, how much more is my father taking care of me? And so brothers and sisters, join the journey to explore the love of God 
walk in and explore the space. Explore the heights and the depth and the width and the length. Sit in it until you experience it. Amen. I'm going to pray for you. We're just going to close with a song. Actually, I think I took up all the time. I did. I took up all the time. I'm sorry, guys. Remember that thing I said about not having good track of time? That's me doing that thing. There I am. But let me pray for us. I really wanted us to sing Christ Be Magnified. I thought that would be a really cool thing. <laughs> God, I just pray for every person in my hearing, on, on site, in the house, or be it a live stream, or listening to a recording, un, unencumbered by space and time. God, I thank you that your spirit is everywhere speaking. God, that you are always revealing your love to anyone who will listen. And so, God, I just pray we'd have ears to hear. Lord, I pray for every person of faith that knows you truly and has walked with you, God, that you would expand our experience of your love, that you would be the quieting voice for our anxious moments, that you would be the overwhelming peace in the midst of suffering, God, that we would know you to be who we can't live without and that you would heal us up on the inside as we walk with you. And God, I pray for every person, maybe even people presently or contemplating atheism that makes more sense to think that there is no God and everything is just brute facts and unrolling nature and all of this is just a farce and will be over before we know it and consciousness is just meaningless. Oh God, I, I just pray that you would just get past that big fat lie to heal up the broken places and to overwhelm every person with love and with meaning and with hope for the future. And God, we need you to do this because we can't. Our minds are so small. Our attention spans are so short. Our, our, our days are so busy and our minds go elsewhere. And so I just thank you for everybody who's in this room, at least devoting this time and energy and attention to contemplating these things together, God. But we just pray that your Holy Spirit would do this work in us tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and, and Thursday and in the mundane and the difficult and the painful and the dark and the, and, the, and the difficult. God, would you just be there? And I thank you that that is what you promised, that you would never leave us or forsake us. And so may we be a people dependent upon and gratefully receiving every gift of your Holy Spirit. God, make us into a people who are filled and overflowing with the fullness of God so that we can glorify you with our lives and, and live in the beauty of your love. God, we thank you and we receive it. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.